Hey everybody, I'm so glad that you are with us and uh, we want you to know we consider you our online family, whether this is your first time, whether you've been with us since we started this a couple of years ago, it really does mean a lot that you would take some time out to be with us. And don't forget that the first Sunday of February, we're moving everyone to our online platform at the bridge. It just gives us a better opportunity to communicate with one another, to create a sense of community, and plus there are some just great tools that we can use on that site that we can't use on other sites. So again, we'll keep you posted when we're doing that. Just want you to be aware of that. Today, we continue a great series that we have loved going through called FM 2022, Follow Me 2022. And taken from the very words of Jesus when he looked at his disciples and said, follow me. Now, each time that we get together, we're giving you a question to think about. It's a question for me to think about. And apart from the questions that most people start with to start a new year of life, these are a little bit more personal. We think these are a little bit more intentional for you to become who we believe God wants you to become. And the very first question we started with was this, am I following Jesus? He gave the greatest invitation in the world to all of us. You don't have to say yes, but to those who do, he promised them this, you follow me and I will make you. I will make you into who I want you to be. Uh, he didn't promise the easiest life. But I believe he promised the best life. As a matter of fact, he said it himself, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy your life, but I'm coming to give you life, life to the full, an abundant life. What does that mean? It means one of joy, of peace, of purpose, of significance, of hope. This is the life that Jesus comes to give us. So it's just a really good question to ask yourself, am I following him? Did I say yes to him? Uh, last week, we gave ourselves another question to think about, and that's this. Who am I becoming? You might could even rephrase it to say, do I like who I'm becoming? If not, that might let you know who you're actually following. Am I following a better version of me or am I following Jesus? Who am I becoming? Because again, his promise was, when you follow me, I will make you into who I want you to be. And if you remember, we, 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 we talked about that in a cultural sense. When Jesus said, as a rabbi, follow me, to the listener, to the disciples who said yes to him, they understood this phrase that they would be walking in the dust of Jesus. It was a phrase of, when you follow me, stay so close to me that the dust of my sandals, my crocs, would actually end up on you. That when you go home from the evening of following me, you were so close to me up front, you listened to everything I had to say. You didn't want to miss me saying anything or doing anything that you would get home and you would actually have to wipe off of yourself the dust from being so close to me. Because if you remember, I'll put it on the screen for you. The goal of the disciple wasn't to know what the rabbi knew. It was to be who the rabbi was. Be just like your rabbi. Be just like him. So it only makes sense that when we are in the dust of our rabbi Jesus, we would begin thinking like he thinks. 
We would begin speaking like he speaks. We would begin acting like he acts. We would love the way he loves. We would serve the way he serves. Our life would begin to emulate that of our rabbi because we are so close behind him and the mission that he was on. Have you ever asked yourself, by the way, what was his mission? What was it? Was it healing people? He healed a lot of people. Uh, almost everywhere he went, it seemed like he was healing someone. Uh, was it taking care of the poor, feeding the hungry? We know from Scripture and the documents that he fed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. His heart went out to the poor and the hungry. Uh, but that wasn't it. Was it prayer? We know he prayed a lot. Uh, we know he also worshiped a lot. He went to church a lot. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it was his custom to do these things. This was a part of his spiritual routine of meeting with his father, of prayer, of worship, of going to church. But that wasn't his goal. That wasn't his mission of life. What was it? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. But before I get to that and... Before I ask you the question that I want you to think about this week, which will come at the very end of today's message, I want to kind of recap something and teach you something else about Jesus being a rabbi in the first century with his disciples and the people who would hear him teach. I want to go back to the educational system. I'll recap it real quick for us. You'll see it on the screen. The Jewish educational system at age five called the house of the book. It was like making the Little League team. Everyone from age 5 to 10 started studying the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Uh, at age 10, if you were good enough, you made it to a national select travel team. Um, and then at age 13, it was like making the D1 college. You were able to pass that grade, then you went to the next grade, but only the best of the best did that. And then at age 15, you could make the draft pick. If you were chosen by a rabbi with authority to follow them, those are the words you wanted to hear would follow me. Then, whew, you were somebody at age 15. And uh, that was, you made it to follow in the dust of a rabbi. And then at age 30, if you wanted to become a rabbi, you could become a rabbi, but only the best of the best of the best of the best became a rabbi. Now, there is another level we did not touch on last week, and this is one I want to talk to you about for just a moment, and you'll see how it ties in to our lives at the very end, and that is this. It's not just a rabbi. It's a rabbi with authority. Being a rabbi was like making the all-star team. Being a rabbi with authority, you were in the hall of fame. Everyone knew who you were. Everyone wanted your autograph. Everyone in the first century wanted a selfie with you because you were the rabbi with authority. Now, Jewish scholars actually point to there were probably between 35 and 55 or 55 and 60 rabbis with authority. So you were known. Now, if you were a rabbi with authority, Hall of Fame, you were able to do some things that other rabbis were not allowed to do. Uh, this is a picture of the synagogue in Capernaum. Uh, this is not the original one that Jesus would have been teaching in, but it certainly gives us a great visual of this moment in Mark chapter 1. This synagogue is actually built up right on top of the one that Jesus would have taught in. And in Mark chapter 1 verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching, talking about Jesus, because he taught them as one rabbi 
who had authority, not as the rabbi, the teachers of the law. So you can see that the listeners understood there is a difference between his teaching is with authority and the regular teachers of our day, the scribes and the Pharisees, like they teach, but it's different than the rabbi with authority. What is the gift? Now, if you were a rabbi, you could teach, but you taught the Old Testament. You taught the Torah. You taught the classes that the other kids came to school with. If you taught with authority, you went through a ceremony, believe it or not, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but it gave you the authority to do three things that a regular rabbi could not do. Here they are. The very first thing that you could do as a rabbi with authority, you could pass legal judgments on someone. You could make a decision, pass a legal judgment, because you had authority, what you say actually went. The second thing you could do as a rabbi with authority is you could introduce new interpretations of the law. Uh, this was known as your yoke, your interpretation of what the scripture said. Do you remember Jesus actually did this at different times? He said things like, you've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I'm telling you. Whoever lusts in their hearts already committed adultery. What is he doing in those moments? He is exercising his right as a rabbi with authority. I'm giving you a new teaching on an old truth. It's my interpretation of God's truth that he gave so long ago. The third thing you could do as a rabbi with authority, you see it on the screen there, you could raise up disciples to follow you. This wasn't just that you were teaching, they were actually following you. A rabbi with authority was not one who stayed in a synagogue like Capernaum, the picture you just saw, that would be a rabbi perhaps a rabbi in that area, and they stayed in that area. If you're a rabbi with authority, you could look at your disciples and you were constantly moving. You were traveling. Everywhere you went, you'd look at your disciples and go, it's time to go. Now, I, now, don't miss this. A rabbi with authority could travel with his disciples. Rarely, rarely, rarely would he ever tell them where they were going. Why would he do that? He wanted them to stay close to him. And not knowing where they were going, it caused them to put more trust in their rabbi. And it also did something else. <laughs> it caused them to stay close to their rabbi. Not just trust him, but to stay close to their rabbi. I don't know about you, but there's so many times I just want to look at Jesus and go, where are we going? Where are you sending me? What is happening in our family right now? And I think many times he just looks at us and just says, just trust me. Just trust me. He knows that if he told us the destination, we would be more concerned about the destination than we are the journey. And a good rabbi with authority who has disciples following knows it's never about the destination. It is always about the journey. So Jesus teaching with authority. If we continue reading in the book of Mark, you see something else take place. It says the people were amazed that, and they ask each other, what is this? A new teaching? Do you see it? Rabbi with authority introducing a new teaching. A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, because he had just healed a dude with, uh, who had a demon, 
and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the region of Galilee. This rabbi with authority has new teaching. Uh, demonic spirits actually obey him. So news gets out about him. Now, let me back up for just a moment. I told you a moment ago that to become a rabbi with authority, there was this ceremony of ordination you would go through. You can read about it later, do more research about it. But it's a ceremony of ordination. And I want to break down the two words that, in, that were involved in each ceremony, you'll see it on the screen right here, an authorized ordination. Reshut meant authority, authorized. A person who is doing the ordination is authorized to do so. Reshut, he has authority. Shmika is the ordination itself. So you have someone with authority placing their hands on, and it's actually the leaning on. In Hebrew, that's what it re refers to. I have authority and I am leaning on you. My uh, reshut, my authority, this is your smikha. This is your ordination moment to become a rabbi with authority. Now, historians disagree on how many people would actually be a part of this ceremony, but it was more than one involved in this special, special moment of a rabbi moving to the Hall of Fame. And this is a point of reference that the Pharisees and the scribes disagreed with and were wondering about with Jesus. They didn't understand, where did all of this come from? So when you flip over to Matthew, um, Jesus had come to the Temple Mount. He had seen um, uh, illegal gain happening at the church, if you will. It upset him. It offended him. And if you grew up, maybe you remember the story that he walked in and just started turning tables over. So angry, just so mad. A righteous anger, a right to be mad. And he looked at everyone and he said, you have turned my father's house. Instead of a place of prayer, you're robbing people. All of you are robbers. It's like a den of thieves and it should be a place of worshipers, people wanting to know my father more, to love him more. And then, so he leaves that day. Word would get out about that. <laughs> he comes back the next day, and I want you to watch the interaction that happens with him. Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they ask, and who gave you this authority? Do you see it? Hey, hey, tell us, tell us who leaned on you and gave you this authority. When was your smitka? When was your ordination service? Because we don't know. And we want to know who ordained you as a rabbi with authority because we would actually like to talk to him, believe it or not. Because what you're doing in our area is really kind of messing up our game, right? As Hall of Famers and as All-Stars. So that's a little offensive to us because it's ruining our game. But you are, you're doing things we've never seen before and you're saying things we've never heard before. So tell us, when was your ordination service and who put their hand on you? Now, now, don't, don't keep reading. Don't keep reading. If you listened last week, if you were with us last week, how do you think Jesus is going to answer their question? With a question. That's right. If you got it right, put a thumbs up in the chat window. Give yourself a hand. He's going to answer their question with a question. And here it goes. Jesus replied, 
I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven, which means God, or of human origin? Was it God or was it man? Let's talk about John's baptism. You tell me first. Well, look at what happened. Verse 26, they discussed it among themselves and they said, okay, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say it's of human origin, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they looked at Jesus and they said, we don't know. They didn't want to say it was from God. And they didn't want to say it was from man. Jesus, so brilliant. You write that down. Jesus is brilliant. He puts them in a corner. And so they looked at him and said, we don't know. Watch. Jesus' response, Matthew 21, 27. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Now, in Greek, do you want to know what that means? Nanny, nanny, boo-boo. That's what it means in Greek. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo is what Jesus is telling them. He said, listen, guys, I am asking you a question, but watch, don't miss this. Jesus, in his brilliance, is actually giving them the answer. Where were you ordained? And who put their hand of authority on you? He actually gave them the answer in the question. It was his baptism. At the Jordan River, when John baptized Jesus, his ministry hadn't started yet. He's gone through all the schooling, all the education, and in the moment he comes up out of the water, you can read it for yourself, the Father, who has the authority of all authority, says, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. Who placed their hand of empowerment on him? The Holy Spirit who comes and lights on his shoulder as a dove is now empowering him to do ministry as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit move together in the mission they have planned and his ministry begins. Jesus says, you want to know put his hand of authority on me? My Father put his hand of authority on me. Who empowered me? The Holy Spirit empowered me. When was my ceremony? It was at my baptism. Now, I just want to stop. How important is baptism? I mean, come on. If Jesus, as a 30-year-old man, is baptized by immersion, how important is your baptism? Come on, come on, come on. You don't want to stand before Jesus one day to say, hey, Jesus, I know you were baptized by immersion, but I didn't want to do that. You don't want that story, okay? So here's my question. Have you ever been baptized? You know, we have a baptism party coming up. Um, if you don't live in this area, we would love to help you get baptized wherever you are. Uh, we'll help you get connected with someone, somehow, some church, so that you could experience following in the steps of Jesus, taking the first step as our rabbi did to be baptized. It's in that moment that maybe you would even hear this is my son, this is my daughter, and whom I'm well pleased. Not because you're doing something right or not doing something wrong. It's because of who you are. It establishes your identity. It is a symbol that you believe that Jesus has brought you from death to life and you're following him. And it lets the world know that you've given your life to him. 
You can see it there in the chat window, the link, that we would love to help you get connected to get baptized. This was Jesus saying to them, that was my moment when my father, the spirit, put his hand on me and my ministry started in that moment. So powerful, so powerful. And for three years, for three years, it was about one thing. I'm going to disciple these men so that one day they will disciple others. Now, I wanna fast forward because this is where we get into the picture right here, okay? Jesus teaches, he dies, he comes back to life. He looks at his disciples and he says, I want you to meet me at the mountain. Now, we don't have time to go into historical evidence of why I think this is the mountain, but I want you to see this mountain. This is Mount Arbel. This is the first picture. You can see the water behind the mountain. That is the Sea of Galilee. 90% of Jesus's ministry was done in the area that you see. Down there on the beach, <laughs> that's where Jesus restored Simon Peter back to ministry. This is where he said, Simon Peter, I still love you. Do you love me? Uh, Simon Peter reconciled. Jesus forgave him. Of course he forgave him and set Simon Peter on a mission for God himself. So this, this place, this mountain is a very, very special mountain. And I believe it was on this mountain where Jesus met with his disciples and he said some famous words to them. Before he went back to heaven, these are the words in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Question, who can make disciples though? Only those with authority. This is the ordination service for the disciples. This is it. Jesus is saying, not only do I have authority as a rabbi on earth, but I have all authority even in the spiritual realm because I have now defeated death, hell, Hades, and Satan himself, and I'm giving you my authority. Go make disciples. This is your miska ceremony. This is it. Go for it. You are now in charge of telling others about me. Wow, what a moment for these disciples. Listen, there's no way you can read the story of Jesus and not know this. His mission, his goal, and his passion was to make disciples who will make disciples, who will make disciples, who will make disciples. That is what he was so passionate about. And he makes it clear. He makes it clear. When you continue reading, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What do you want us to do, Jesus? You tell us. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. What's the first thing Jesus wants us to do? Hey, let's baptize them. This is why we love baptism. This is why we celebrate people being baptized. Not because it's a church thing or a religion thing. This is a Jesus thing. And we're going to go with Jesus. And then he goes, now don't let this intimidate you. He says, I want you to teach them everything I've commanded you. It's very tem tempting for us to go, I don't know everything. I don't know everything he said. You're only responsible for what you do know. It might be as little as he said he loves me and I believe that. 
and you tell your friend how much he loves them. You just tell them. You tell them what you do know, not what you don't know. Remember, this is a journey. This is not a destination. Here's what Jesus is most interested in. Are you ready? Not just a one-time prayer. He's interested on you becoming a disciple and you becoming like him, not knowing about him. So here's the question for today. As we've asked, am I following Jesus? Second question, who am I becoming? This is the third question. Am I making disciples? That's it. That's the question. Am I involved somehow, some way in making disciples? Am I a part of the mission that Jesus gave? So clear. And what I love about this, this gives so much clarity to the purpose of my life. This should give so much clarity to the purpose of your life. So many people wonder, what's my life all about? What should I be doing? What's the end goal of my life? Some people spend hundreds of dollars trying to find out what their life is all about. Jesus steps on the scene. He goes, hey, save your money. I'm going to tell you. Are you ready? Love me with all that you have. Love people like I have loved you. Are you ready? And just expand the kingdom. Join me. Join me in telling other people how much I love them. As you love them, teach them what I've taught you. Here's the, here's the mission. Are you ready? Are you? Just like, just like. We follow our rabbi. Is anyone following you as you follow Jesus? Is anyone learning from you? Is anyone bidding, uh, benefiting from your service on Sunday, whatever church you go to, whatever church, doesn't matter, whatever church you go to, are you a part of loving the community so much that they leave going, that guy made a difference in my life today? That girl made a difference in my life today. That lady, the way she just welcomed me into the building, made a difference in my life today. That's all of us being a part of making disciples together. But watch, look at the screen. This is so important. When we lose sight of our purpose, we forget our need for God, and we stop moving forward with God. When we lose our sight of our purpose, we just forget we need God. You want to know you want to know why I need God so much? I can't do this without him. I can't teach without him. I can't lead without him. I can't love without him. I can't get on a stage without him. I need him every step of the way in this mission. And the same is true for you. Read it in scripture. Whenever anyone in scripture lost the sight of their purpose from God, they lost and just forgot their need for God. Start in the very first story of the Bible. God said, you're free, now multiply. Protect the garden, love it, eat it. Eat it all and multiply. They lost sight of the vision and then what happened? We don't need God right now. It's, it is all throughout the Bible. And when we lose our sight of God, we forget our need for God. And then what happens? We actually stop moving forward with God. I mean, come on, let's just be honest. COVID did a number, not only on individuals, not only on families, but also on churches. So many people who were in the game, in the mission, on purpose, had their ministry area. They were leading, they were serving, they were taking care of, they were doing this during the week, every Sunday, count on them, count on them, count on them, boom. Can't even find them. 
You've got to get in the mission somehow, some way to make disciples. Come on, let's be done with, let's be done with American Christianity, which is consumerism at its best. It's all about us, our comfort. And when you read the disciples of following their rabbi with authority, Jesus, it was never about their comfort. It was about the mission. It was never about what's in it for them in the long haul. There was actually an argument of what's in it for them. I want to sit on your right. I want to say they were just arguing about themselves. I mean, Jesus just comes on and goes, man, are these guys ever going to get it? Should I get my jerseys back? I mean, how does this deal work with y'all? And they would finally get it on this moment when he said, Tag, you're it. You got one mission. Tell people about me and make disciples for me who will follow me and who will love me. Come on, come on, come on. If you've been out of the game, I'm talking to those who are in the game, for whatever reason, there's a, the season's over, I'm inviting you back on the team, with the team, in the locker room, out of the stands, on the court, on the field, and get your hands dirty in the mess of humanity to make a difference for him. It's what he said to do all throughout his ministry. For three years, that was the end goal. It wasn't healing people, though he did. It wasn't taking care of the poor, though he did. It wasn't just about worship and prayer and going to church, though he did. It wasn't about reading the Bible, though he had it memorized, of course. All of that was for the main purpose of making disciples. Everything just fell under that umbrella. And let me say this. If you're not making disciples, there's a joy you will never know, a power you'll never experience, and a purpose you'll never discover. Your life will really be all about you. And here's what I know about my own life. When I have made my life about me, there is a self-preservation that goes into effect. And when self-preservation goes into effect, I lose joy. I never find it. I lose purpose. I never find it. I lose power. I never experience. There is something so interesting about making disciples with Jesus, because this is a with thing. It is a with thing. Making disciples about Jesus, it's like when we give away what we know, when we give away what we have, when we give away how he's blessed us, there is a joy that comes back in return. Do you know who's getting the mess out of this, uh, the most out of this message right now? Me. You go, well, that's kind of selfish. No, it's just a byproduct. It's a byproduct that I've been able to spend time with him, read, listen, watch. I just, oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. This, I didn't know this. This is awesome. I can't wait to share that because Jesus, you are changing my life in the process. Do you see it? Do you see it? So question, are you making disciples? Are you in the game somehow, some way in the mission that he has? Now, if you're thinking, I can't, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I want to encourage you. Maybe you think you can't because of your past. Maybe you think you can't because of your knowledge or the lack of knowledge. Maybe you think you can't for whatever reason. You're not gifted. Uh, you don't have enough tools. Whatever, whatever. I want to encourage you with something. The book of Matthew, chapter 1, it says that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. The very last verse in Matthew 
chapter 28, Jesus said, And I will be with you to the very end of the age. Matthew starts, he's with you. Jesus ends, I'm going to be with you. And in between, so go make disciples. You are not alone. And it doesn't depend on you. It depends on me working through you. So are you making disciples? If you're not serving anywhere, we would love to help you get connected in serving somehow, somewhere. You let us know. And by the way, by the way, Jesus' whole ministry happened in a small group. <laughs> Jesus was in a small group, ragtag group, uh, had some runaways, um, had, some, had some arguments happen amongst themselves. It wasn't the perfect group at all, but it was a small group nonetheless that saw some amazing things happen. That's why we really believe at this place that life happens better in circles than it ever does in rows or by yourself. And we want you to get plugged into a small group this year as well.